This is the Gorilla Social Work Podcast, your crackerjack clinical insurgents pitting evidence against anecdotes. What's up, Gorilla Social Workers? We hope you're ready for another chat with your host, Jeff Daywalker Moore, and yours faithfully, Mace Warren. Jeff and I are both forensic psychotherapists that specialize in the clinical treatment of folks involved in the criminal justice system. We love sharing our misguided musings with all of you, and we thank you so much for your ongoing listenership. Hey, we're super sorry for the delay in posting a, a podcast episode. I guess that's just what happens on summer break. Either way, we're stoked to be back in studio. Today, we talk about the recent school shooting at Uvalde Elementary, our legislators' response, and whether clinical professionals like us have the capacity to handle this as a mental health issue. If you like what you hear today, please bake a batch of oatmeal raisin cookies for the five-star rating, but when you deliver them, pretend that you actually bake them a batch of chocolate chip cookies instead. And now, on with the show. Future primitive. It's the center of gravity. Future primitive. Is that a? It's a band. Oh, it is. Yeah. It, why the, do you have it on there? You didn't know what it was. Oh, there, there are intro music for this week. Oh, ha, no you, shit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get that mic closer to your face. Dude, like I, f- I feel right like, up in it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not. That's that's good. Right. I feel like Joe Rogan telling you to fix your. <laughs> Put that about a if it's from your face. You know what I think, dude. If you ever watch him, though, I swear, like even if they nail it, like they got it right in the right spot, he always tells them, like no matter what, you know, just kind of like his protocol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just one of his it's one of his things. Does. Yeah, dude. So I was, I uh, sorry everybody that we're late on on posting this we had a previous recording that i don't know i just didn't like it and so i wanted to um, i wanted to get it right for you guys well it's kind of a hot button issue but i you know what it's actually kind of uh, a good thing because there was i i had something come up that was related to this and um and i wanted to maybe what is that suss it out that's, suss that's a, even that's mean? a term yeah. <laughs> that is a term <laughs> um so, uh, do you ever watch Ink Master? No. Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen it, but okay, I don't, you're aware of I'm the, aware of the it. show, right? Yeah. yeah, pretty. I mean, the um, I don't know why, but compared to other, do you watch any reality shows like that where there's competitions no. or anything like that? None. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I assume the Ultimate Fighter doesn't even exist anymore. Right? I, I was gonna, that's the closest. Oh no, it I've does, come. huh? Yeah, there's like a season. That's the closest right I've come to reality shows. I guess. Okay. Um. So Ink Mask, pretty simple premise. Anybody has not seen it. I mean, it. You just bring a certain number of of tattoo artists onto the show, and you put them through some challenges. They're all artistic challenges, and the most important of which are putting actual tattoos on people. And then having judges, they have these two judges, uh, uh, Chris Nunez and Oliver Peck. No longer Oliver Peck. <laughs> After, by the way, if you guys haven't know, he got kicked off. I guess in season thirteen, um, because he had some like 
the worst blackface pictures you've ever seen. Like, oh, really? I mean, you, you've seen blackface pictures, right? Yeah. We're talking like Trudeau level blackface? Worse. Oh, boy. Worse. Just look them up. I okay. mean, I, I you know, I, if you just Oliver Peck blackface, it's right. it's it's pretty damning. You're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's, there's like, like, like the minstrel show type where it's like super offensive. Yeah. And at least on one of it seemed deliberately offensive. Like, and you'll see why, like it was a costume. It looked like, but you'll see why don't want to glorify it here, but either way. So I watched this and and I've, and I've, um, so I, while I run, cause I'll, I'll sometimes train on red mill, uh, red mills, treadmills. Right. And while I'm running, I'll watch episodes just because it keeps my mind off running at the time. Right. And, uh, and so I'm watching these and, um, I'm, I'm probably watched, I don't know, six seasons now, there's 13 seasons or so. And, um, and I've noticed a few things that parallel with a little bit what what we're going to talk about tonight. So, um, if I started to do a tally and started to do like a, uh, a list of things that the judges tell the artists on their critiques, Every single week, right? Every every single time that they they do a challenge, and, and specifically when they're doing a tattoo, there are some really common things that they tell them to like, do. Like the same kind of standard feedback to them, right? Same okay. standard feedback, and th- this goes back to season one. Okay, and and some of the things, and and if you guys watch the show, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? So the judges will, and I'll just name a couple. The so they'll they'll say you know, make sure you're doing solid outlines. Okay. Um, they'll say, use more black, um, contrast, uh, saturation. Right. And, and so some of these things like saturation, it's just making sure that you're filling up color in the area you're supposed to seems pretty simple, right? Outline. I mean, make sure your outline is there, you know, and routinely, routinely, and there's there's a few more. And you, I mean, you could really go through every one of these these critiques and start to statistically count what the judges are telling right. the artists. Right now, knowing that, if you're now, I think they they confirmed that there's going to be a season fourteen. Right, and let's say you're an up and coming artist. Right, and you feel confident because <laughs> those reality shows are always awesome. Because I'm like half of you know you have no business being here, right? You all know that. You have to know that. Like, I mean, all of a sudden, did you feel like you're just going to get better? All You know, like all of a sudden, yeah. right? They have no business being there. Obviously, somebody has to win or lose, but there they are, right? They needed fall people, right? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I always kind of dig if, and they kind of have some of these two where they have like all stars come back, you know, people who have already won. Then it's like, oh, okay. We really get into nitty gritty details of these tattoos. But let's say you're coming in season 14 and um, you have 13, you know, 13 seasons. I think they have, I don't know, we'll just say 15 episodes each. So you have all that information. I mean, wouldn't, I don't know. Would you do any research going into that? Like, what would you look if you're an artist? What would you look like for? Like, if I was a potential contestant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd probably watch all the seasons and start to see, like, okay, what are some common threads that the judges look for? And I'd start to learn the the things you were just talking about: contrast, solid outline. Right. Yeah. Right. Why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, you're going there to win, after all. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
It does research. It's like well, a scouting report. Well, right. And everybody goes on there. Everybody goes on there and they all have their sad stories, which is bothers me. You know, you I was bullied when I was like, yeah, so I'm like, I had to start doing tattoos and I feel free. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tattoos, tattoos saved yeah. my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, here we go. Know. Like, I just want one person to say, no, nah, I led a pretty good life. Yeah, I'm here to I'm win. Just, I'm just really good at this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Either way. I, I assume everybody's there to win. And the way to win, based on what the judges are telling you, the information is there. They they know. And routinely, the artists come up and they will like they just defy what the judges are saying. Like sometimes they won't do an outline whatsoever. Like they know better? Yeah. They sh- well, they, they have to know better. And and the judges will tell them, if you don't do solid outlines this next time, you're at risk of going home. And the, you know the the tattoo artist will say, "Well, I'm I'm an artist, and I do I knew that would I do color realism, yes, and I don't, and, I, and that doesn't that doesn't have solid outlines." And you know they're like, "Well, yeah, but look, that tattoo in ten years is gonna not look it's gonna look like a blob because of how it heals." So they're looking like for longevity of you know I don't want to call it evidence based tattoos, but they just know what good tattoos are long term right yeah not doesn't look good this month it also looks good 10 years from now right right or or you know oh and they'll say something like let it breathe and and what they mean by that is they leave skin open because if you put too much like black on there which is one of their things they say to do well then it kind of looks like a cover up right and so they'll say you got to let it breathe a little bit don't use white to do the contrast, use their skin to do the contrast. Right. And, and, and the artists argue with this and say, Oh yeah. And then, well, yeah, but in 10 years that white's going to look yellow and it's going to look silly. And dude, it just reminds me so much of therapists in our field. Sometimes dude. like you have all the information in the world to do your job correctly. And you refuse to follow the evidence. You refuse to follow what you know will lead you to the victory line. What do you yeah. think that is? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I want to say arrogance, but it doesn't seem arrogant because these artists are so it feel like when I watch that, they seem so beaten down when they have to leave and go home, you know, and they're crying and everything. Huh. I'm like, well, that's not arrogance. Like arrogance would be, I'm better than you, and I know better right. than you. So it's F not you. That, huh? you know, no, it doesn't feel that way. It, it. What do you think it is with our therapists? Not our therapists. Yeah, not yeah, alpha yeah. therapists. Alpha yeah. therapists are awesome. I'm, I'm saying like, therapists in our field, they just get wrapped over the axle about things that that they know have no bearing in terms of moving the needle for our clients, improving you know outcomes, um, mental health, substance use, or otherwise. They just get into. And I don't know if it's because they're expressing themselves like artistically or expressing themselves therapeutically, but I, the, I think I might know cause I've been guilty of it. Yeah. What do you think it is? I've, you actually helped snap me out of it. This, this is back in my, uh, due disclosures during group days. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so a disclosure during group meaning that. Uh, the client would talk about their sex offense during group in like a very structured way. The, the idea being that maybe they would develop some insight, get some feedback, take accountability for what they did. Uh, then, you know, lather, rinse, repeat. And I, I got to where I felt like I was doing pretty productive groups. Mm-hmm. And so when you started pointing out the research that we bring up all the time on this podcast, that uh, disclosures during group, 
don't really help. And in fact, they could hurt. Uh, I, I kind of dismissed it uh, for a considerable amount of time Mm because I felt like what I was, I felt like what I was doing was effective and I was resistant to uh, (laughs) evidence. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it felt like, I so I, yeah, it, it led me to push back against what you were saying for probably a year or two. Well, <clears throat> so but part of that, and I'll give you a little bit of a compliment here. So get ready; <laughs> these come few and far between. <laughs> yes, I, I would say I've sat through those groups with you, and um, my feeling is, looking back on those, I feel like the way that you did it was effective. Um, and but this is this is the problem. This is that. Um, that uh what's that uh fallacy it's like the uh i can't even think about it the um, what is it like what's the it's like uh it's a, like a logical fallacy it's the um something about authority it, appeal it, to authority appeal is that it I, something it's, it's like where i reference somebody that's an expert in this and there so you go I do it. okay so the the appeal to authority there is i i would say um I probably witnessed a handful of therapists, maybe three, I don't <laughs> do those groups effectively, at least in my opinion, where I, I have seen or witnessed uh, what what I believed to be helpful insight on part of the client, right? Yeah. Now here's the problem with that is um I I can't I can't replicate you. I can't replicate the other therapists I've seen do that well. And if if you and I um, are trying to replicate groups and hand this this knowledge down and skills down to uh, you know a new crop of upcoming therapists, well, you're asking not it's not a content issue because you could use the same words that you do um, in this and just do content, but your style is missed and your personality is not there. And what you, you know, the energy that you bring to the, to the group is absent. And as a result of that, you're not going to see much forward progress or forward momentum from the clients because you're not there. So thinking you can replicate that, that's where I feel like there's a problem because this is where some of these anecdotal type of treatments start coming about. And, you know, there's perhaps one study out there or no studies. Maybe they just witnessed it, you know, firsthand and then they just want to do that. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean because I helped that one person that one time or these 10 people that one time and this one therapist knows how to do that technique really well does not mean you can do that. And it does not mean it's going to go through the rigors of research to say this actually moves the needle for our clients. Right. And this was like so. The reason I was thinking about this um, more and more was because, I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard about the the school shooting at Uvalde Elementary, right? Um, and just to make sure I don't miss anything on this, I kind of wrote a few things down on this. So May 24th, uh, 19 children were killed, two adults, you know, um, and you have no doubt heard the trope that has been every time <clears throat> something like this comes up, it's it's put out there that this isn't a gun control problem. This is a mental health, issue. mental health issue. Right. Which I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Right. Um, 
and and I'm not, you know, this is not to get political at all, whatever your gun control beliefs are, because now you've opened the door to say, well, this is a mental health issue and that's going to fall on people like us to do this work, right? Yes. So one of the things is recently, and I don't know the exact dollar amount on this, but I know our legislators passed a bill. I know it's hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be sunk into the mental health field, right? And sent out. And, um, and so I'm, I'm worried about that, even though I should be stoked about that. I'm a little worried about that because of, of how those dollars are going to be spent. And I guess the real question is, is I don't know. Do you, do you feel like we could even handle that issue? Is that an issue that mental health practitioners or clinical professionals like you and I, and not just you and I, I mean, we're just in that field, but in general, are we capable of even putting a dent in that problem? Well, you know, I, I think <clears throat> to a degree, you and I uh, have like our opinion on it might compared to other people in the field might actually have a little merit just because we're, consistently trying to I guess predict risk mm-hmm. of of people that hurt other people I mean in a sense we we our wheelhouse is sexual offending but or just criminal offending in general right yeah right. I, okay yes exactly general criminal offending and sex offending and I mean the main thing that makes me skeptical of our ability to do this is that all the risk assessment tools that we have are designed to predict the risk of reoffense after the fact, mm-hmm. after, after we already have a sex offense on record. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, what's the likelihood this person's going to do it again? And yeah. the risk assessment tools are, they get better and better. And uh, I don't have a way of making them better. I think we're on the right track, but it's definitely still an imperfect system. And, you know, with, uh, with gun violence, it like, there's no after the fact, like the, you know, the Buffalo shooter isn't going to get another shot at life. He's going to be in prison mm-hmm. and he's going to stay there and, or they, or they get killed like the kid in Uvalde. So can you explain that a little bit? Like for, so, I mean, at base level, a risk assessment is just an instrument we use to help answer the question. Like, is this, uh, offender, a, a criminal offender, somebody who's committed a criminal offense, uh, relatively low risk or rel- relatively high risk of reoffending. We're trying to to predict or or maybe give us a, a sense of the likelihood that they're going to reoffend, yeah. right? But like, how does that work? Because it's ne- like you say, once somebody does a mass shooting and they're caught provided that they don't kill themselves or a shot in the process. Um, they're never going to have another opportunity to do this. So, I mean, how does that differ compared to like a risk assessment? Well, with our clients, most all of them, you know, they feel about it, how you want to feel about it, but most all of them are going to be out in society again one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's our job to vet them and to decide that based on, their initial offense, their index offense, and the myriad of factors that we use to assess risk that based on that, this person has a low, moderate, or high level of risk to reoffend, and therefore our treatment recommendations are X, Y, and Z. And so what we're being asked to do it with gun violence is uh, pick them out of a crowd without there being a 
you know, a, an index offense mm-hmm. to go off of. Yeah. And, and so we're talking about, you know, I, th- I think everybody kind of has ideas in their mind of the type of people that do mass shootings, you know, kind of the disaffected young man that is socially isolated and, you know, doesn't feel like he has any purpose and meaning in life and has, you know, mental health issues and violence and, uh, ends up deciding that if he can't get attention, he'll rage quit life and, Mm -hmm. you know, goes out in a, you know, a flame. And when that happens, like, I don't know, like, how, how do you see that coming? You know, there were warning signs with a kid in Uvalde, you know, that Mm -hmm. they got pointed out, like that maybe there were some things we could have seen coming like that. The kid in Uvalde had like a kind of a crazy social media background. He had mentioned things about, um, you know, actually one of his, someone on social media on this, whatever weirdo message board he was on had asked him like, what are you going to do? Shoot up a school. And he actually said, no, but watch and you'll see something mm-hmm. like that. He talked to that girl in France or wherever she was, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to shoot my grandma on the face. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those types of things are super concerning, but man, like if you've ever spent time on a message board for any amount of time, that's like, now like 15% of people talk on message boards. Like we're talking so many people that there, there's no, like we're not good at picking it out yet when it hasn't happened. You're, you're saying like, if I go into a message board, um, like a lot of the hyperbole is just that. Yeah. Right. It's exactly. just like, how do you know what's genuine threat right. versus, I mean, yeah, I just look at some of our group chats. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Talk some crazy shit sometimes. Right, right. Yeah. And it's all in jest. Like, we're just trying to make each other laugh. Yeah. It's never, there's never any teeth to that, though. Right. Like, I never have thought any of my friends or, you know, if, if there's ever, I, I, we usually talk about nonsense, but, I mean, if there's ever a proposed, you know, threat of violence, it's never that. And And really, you know, you were saying earlier, the risk assessments get better and better over time. But the reason why is because we have thousands and thousands of offenders who were using for, you know, statistical evidence to say, okay, if, um, you know, there's kind of different risk factors we look at, right? We look at static risk factors, which are kind of historical or, or just, you know, things that don't really change, like how old is the person? What's their age range? What's their criminal history look like? Um, stuff like that. Those are things that don't really change. And based off of that, we can say, oh, okay, he's this level of risk. But yeah. we also, the other thing is sometimes their release uh, is pen, like is pending on our recommendation that they've reached a certain level of risk, right? And that usually comes from risk factors that can change. So those might be, say attitudes or like beliefs and attitudes that support violence against another person or really poor emotional regulation or, you know, shitty use of your free time or, I mean, whatever we can start adding those up and that's what we're treating. That's what we look at those and we say, man, this guy has really poor emotion regulation. And then on our treatment plan, we turn up that, turn it up on that. We say, well, let's focus more on that because that's the areas where he needs help. You know, he or she needs help. But I'd say, with the mass shootings, number one, I don't know if we have enough data at this point based on the number of, of mass shootings to say to start picking out specific risk factors. Um, and then on top of that, like, how do we get that person into meet with a mental health therapist that could 
I mean, I, Dude, I yeah, exactly. Ideally, uh, yeah, what? Ideally, I see this happening like this. We see a kid who's struggling. He goes to a mental health therapist. That mental health therapist is evaluating him, and then they see all these, you know, quote unquote, red flags, and then they alert authorities, and then they detain the kid, lock him up for doing that, or do I mean make? Sh- I don't. I don't know what you do after that. And then in the meantime, the therapist intervenes to the degree that he's no longer a risk and the school shooting doesn't happen. That's that seems like what everybody wants to have. Yeah. Okay. The logistics of that are tricky, though. How does that person get into my office? Um, How's the initial? They just going to walk in or is somebody going to force them to go there? And, and under wh- what mandate do you get them wh- to go there? And why would they want to talk to you? Right. How do you compel them to come and talk to some to a therapist? Right. Like, I mean, and I mean, a court mandate, you know, people sometimes are not motivated to talk to us. Yeah. When have you had a court mandated client come in or I guess how often do they come in? And that very first session, they are 100 percent open and honest and yeah. tell you all the terrible things that they can't say out loud. <laughs> it's rare. Yeah. It's it hardly, it happens, hardly it's rare. ever. It's yeah. rare. And, and even then I, I question where the motivation is at that point, you know, cause I'm a stranger to them and we have not had developed rapport. So I'm like, eh, this is weird. I'm hearing all your, you know, skeletons in your closet from day one. That's just not normal social graces, you know? Um, and, uh, but if they're coming to my office, at least I know there's motivation there because they're sitting in front of me, right? That's that's good. I'm saying, how do we even get that kid to come right. in? Uh, yeah, I don't know. How is it? A, so, and, and then if they come, like, so so that's miracle number one, Maverick. Maverick. You see Maverick, the movie yeah, Maverick? Yeah, oh my gosh, dude. Amazing. I need to go see that three more times. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Great movie. Is Tom Cruise not the best man ever? Yeah, he <laughs> truly is. I know, dude. Uh, anyway, that that's miracle number one, getting him in my office. Miracle number two is, me recognizing this and somehow reducing dynamic risk on this potential would be mass shooter to the degree that they don't act on that. And what does that look like? I have no clue. Yeah. I we're, mean, we should know, but we're expected. We're expected to know. Well, I know, I know we work with some violent offenders. We've worked with murderers, rapists, all kinds of stuff. And I know what to look for with them. Right. But that's, I have a lot more information about that. Right. They've already acted out. I'm already like, they've already murdered somebody. Yeah, we get them post-conviction. Right. Here's here's the reason why I'm scared about this, um, especially if we even accomplish miracle number one, is because let's say they come into my office, right? Um, <clears throat> I was telling you a little bit about this. Like this last, uh, it was end of end of June, beginning of June and anyway, last month. Okay. I had to attend a, um, it was, a uh, uh, a training to be a, um, MFT supervisor. So, uh, uh, marriage and family therapist supervisor. So I'm an LCSW. Traditionally, we're not allowed to, um, supervise MFTs because they have a, a different, um, schedule, I guess, or requirement for supervision based on their licensure status. Right. And, um, we, when we signed up for this, this was forever ago when we signed up for it, we had an MFT who was working for us and we're like, well, we don't want to have to pay for supervision elsewhere. Cause sometimes it could be really expensive. Right. So that's why we signed up for this. And look, so this think about this. These are, 
I, I was in there with, I think, a group of like 20 or 30 other therapists. Now, these were all seasoned therapists who've been in the field for multiple years, all supervisors, all current supervisors who were now going to be supervising and training and mentoring new and upcoming therapists who have no knowledge of the field. Okay. And I mean, you've been to these conferences before. It's not, it was a, tra- it was supposed to be a training, not really a conference. So when I was there, like direct application skills and stuff, like how to do, how to be a supervisor. That's what I thought. Okay. I thought this is how you have to be a supervisor for an MFT, right? Um, and so we opened it up and introductions started, right? And they said, okay, your name, and this was half the day, I mean, or at least, at least the first segment of the day. Uh, what's your name? What's your what's your title? Where do you work? KSL. <laughs> <laughs> what and uh and what uh what do you guys specialize in? Right, like what you and so everybody gets up now. There were some really choice specialties, okay? That just <laughs> and dude, I, what is in the water these days with? equine therapy. And by the way, that's a horse, bro. That just stop saying <laughs> I don't I don't I never call my dog a canine. It's a dog. Horse, right? Yeah. So, horse therapy. <laughs> I know you're trying to make it sound cool, but yeah. it's horse therapy, yeah. <laughs> all right? What is in the water about this is everybody's into horse therapy now. Yeah, lots of money in the horse therapy field. Yeah, I I've watched the Horse Whisperer as well and Sea Biscuit and and like but they make them pick up their hoof. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, but look, I I simply being around a horse, you know, and and I want you to I really want somebody to break this down for me and quantify and, and codify like okay, this step one, this step two, this step three, and this is how you change behaviors. Just saying, be around the horse. Does that exist? Maybe that like, I, I legit haven't looked into it. So I'm not know. going to look into it because it's nonsense. Okay. Look, I like horses too, I guess. I mean, well, actually I don't, I don't even like horses at all. The last horse that I'm I was different, dude, the last horse that I was around, it's just it, at, at the end of the day, it's a beast. Okay. That's a beast that has a mind of its own. And I know they're supposed to be majestic, but sometimes they're assholes, okay? And the last horse I was around rolled over and broke a bunch of my camping equipment on me, you know? Whoa. Yeah. So F that horse, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard this story. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm just saying, I don't don't like them, you know? I don't don't like, I mean, but what is it about a horse? I mean, is there a quality about the horse that's different from, say, a cow? I don't even know what. What quality? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Or, or a rhinoceros or a giraffe or an octopus. What is making the difference here? What is it about a horse that somehow magically makes people better? Yeah. Okay. Now, don't tell me just the energy. Don't, stop it. I don't want to hear. Yeah, define that. I, what, what is energy? Things that I can't measure. Okay. Yeah. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. I, I, those things don't matter to me. I need science to help me here. Okay. And if you give that to me. You show 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 me some randomized control trials, and maybe some meta analysis. Okay, I will start doing horse therapy. Until then, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I, it's experimental treatment, in my opinion. And it's and and until you have all those studies, I don't want to hear about it for my clients. Does that exist? Yeah, I, I mean, like no, like the. I mean, for all I know, that research does exist. I don't know. 
Oh, oh, there there are for sure an article or two out there Articles. with 20 participants that again yeah, okay. it is the the uh, appeal to authority fallacy is how do I know that you know this Robert Redford esque right. individual was not the secret sauce that led to the change. Right. And we're chalking it up to the horse. Right. Right. So if I have not, I don't know nothing about horses and I walk you to some stable and be like, yeah, just go be around the horse, feed it some oats. And all of a sudden you'll be better. Yeah, well, you're not Robert Redford. Right. Yeah. You're not going to. So replicating that is yeah. incredibly difficult. Sure. Right. But it didn't end there. It didn't end there. Okay. okay. There was, there was another gal that said, we do a, uh, we're really excited because we're opening a uh, trauma informed yoga studio. Trauma informed yoga. Okay. Trauma. Okay. All right. I don't understand. So, what she happens? Was a therapist. So, you're, you're holding like a twisted eagle pose. Yeah. And then they, what? Start talking about your trauma? Like, that, I, I have so many questions, man. If trauma informed is simply recognizing that people come in. Yeah, like, so what does with, trauma informed mean? Cause we have trauma informed CBT. So like <laughs> what does trauma informed mean? I think a lot of times you're suspecting the fact that people come in with trauma and that it could, it could uh, be, I mean, I, it, it, yes. Content. Cause it's, it's kind of a buzzword in our field. Trauma informed. I mean, I, I could give you a half ass definition. No, no, no. And I don't think a lot of people have it. I've had people like I've asked, licensing people what this means and really what they've told me is well you know regardless of your modality of therapy are you respecting that people you know present with trauma at times of course and that you're going to adjust your interventions to account for that trauma such that you're not deliberately triggering them or dismissing their trauma and you're kind of addressing it right clearly okay so then every yoga studio i've ever been in is trauma informed because nobody has ever talked about anybody's trauma in yoga they're just telling you how to do poses Okay, like that. What does trauma informed yoga mean then? Like, I think there's not a yoga instructor that's disrespectful about people's trauma history. (laughs) That'd be a funny. Yeah, you you walk in and you're like, hey, if your parents abused you, F you. (laughs) Now get in downward dog. Downward dog, idiot. (laughs) Like, I've never heard of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, it doesn't. And it's just stringing together buzzwords. Well, right. So my favorite one, my favorite one was um, we're really excited because we're we're starting to get into the field of canine assisted psychedelic therapy. I'm like, <laughs> or no, it's psychedelic assisted canine therapy. <laughs> Wait, so what is what is. So it's psychedelic assisted canine therapy. Yeah. So I don't know if you give the dog shrooms well, and then watch it do stuff and well, then you canine, get better. Canine assisted psychedelic therapy would mean that the dog provided you the psychedelics. <laughs> so, so the dog's also your yeah, dealer. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> this pugs my plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also like, man, there's a lot of dogs. Like, is there a special kind of dog? I mean, can I have a chihuahua or yeah, does, it, does it need to be a bulldog? Yeah, what what is it a Weimaranian? Like what what is it? Did right? you get any details? I didn't ask because I didn't want to throw up. So, sure. like, <laughs> but now look, this is why I don't I don't feel confident in our field to handle this issue My because God. I'm sitting with thirty would be perf- supervisors in yeah, the field, top tier people. Yeah, not in, interns that that are going to be now handing down this nonsense to other people in this field, right? Oh, man. And dude, when I stood up and I said, oh, okay, my name's Mays, blah, 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 you know, and I said, um, yeah, 
I, I am a cognitive behavioral therapy purist. That's what we do. Um, that's all we do. And, uh, yeah, I got like, um, a, a response that sat somewhere between utter disdain and just, you know, uh, passive dismissiveness. That's People actually said something. It, it kind of like mild, like hissed at you. Yeah. No, I, I wish <laughs> we really got to bring hissing yeah, back. Hissing. Uh, I could definitely like disappointed groans, really? you know, certainly rolled eyes, you know, that were coming up about this, right? Dismissing. I mean, d- just dismissing cognitive behavioral therapy or just the fact that you said you're a purist. I don't even think and I said I was a purist. I just said no. I practice only cognitive behavioral therapy and that's it. Motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy. But MI is kind of a style, not really a, a, a modality, right? And uh, and here's here's what I do know. I, I am not aware of any studies of psychedelic-assisted canine therapy. Not one, right? But what I do know is that uh, – Per our trainings that we've had, there are are over 40 meta-analysis. Meta-analysis, a study of studies, and there's 40 of them, okay? That means thousands, tens of thousands of participants that using cognitive behavioral therapy reduces recidivism and reoffending. Like, that's what I know, okay? That's statistically been proven. The, the evidence is there, buddy. Like... There's no such thing as, as, and I know they've tried this stuff before. They've tried all kinds of different stuff, but never have they had a randomized control trial or a meta-analysis proving that trauma-informed yoga or horse therapy or canine, any of that stuff reduces recidivism because it doesn't, okay? But why, why do they insist on latching on to these things and continue with them because the other trope that I heard, which also troubles me, is, hey, everybody, we get into this field because we don't want to make money, right? I'm like, do you know why that is? It's because of this, crap like this. this. It's you choose not to follow evidence and do scientifically based interventions. And guess what happens? Nobody pays you for it. Nobody pays you for it. Does this happen in oncology? Like, you know what I mean? For cancer doctors? Yeah. Like, do they have people that are doing this like canine assisted tumor? Like it does, like it doesn't happen. Like the, the treatments I'm assuming that, I mean, again, people I think give mental health professionals a lot of credit that we've really got things sorted out. We know what we're doing when obviously supervisors sitting around talking about the merits of dogs and mushrooms. Like, Yoga informed, what is it? Trauma informed yoga, like trauma informed yoga goat therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I think the general layperson thinks that we've got it together a lot better than we do because they they kind of just generally say mental health therapy. That's what needs to happen. Without you know that they, they don't see how the hot dogs made like we do. And so maybe I've got the wrong idea about the medical community because to me I'm thinking of you know a, a conference where you know oncologists are getting together talking about treatment options and they're going to be bringing up meta analyses of whatever the, either the gold standard is, or if it is a new trial drug that we've got more than just a cool sounding name with an end size of 20 backing it up. Right. Yeah. And, and no, those, those don't exist. And the reason why is because the level of accountability 
that a physician and and particularly an oncologist has to face is leaps and bounds above what we have to deal with. I mean, right. if an oncologist elected to do an experimental treatment that had no evidence whatsoever in treating, you know, and well, number one, the insurance probably wouldn't even pay for it. I mean, are you kidding me? You, you go to an oncologist and, and, and they say, well, I don't do chemotherapy. I don't do surgery and I don't do radiation. So, you know, <laughs> what do you do? You know, <laughs> and I don't Folk care. medicine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Folk medicine. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I mean, it, it, whatever it is, the insurance they get is sued to oblivion. Well, they first of it. all, their patients are going to die. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then they're going to get sued. And then those people aren't going to last very long. Right. Whereas mental health, some, somehow we get a pass in this and, and it's never like we can always lean on this idea, which I hear so much, which is so silly. I hear therapists say this all the time, like, um, well, I'm not going to work harder than the client. That's a common thing. Are you out of your mind? Un- what other profession allows you to talk like that? I'm not going to work harder than the client. What other, a mechanic? I bring my car in to get fixed. Hey, I don't know what's wrong with this. My car won't start. I'm not going to work harder than you. <laughs> what? Is it a way that we let ourselves off the hook in the field of like, I think it's excuse banking because we have poor outcomes and our clients aren't making progress. And so rather than just say, man, I need to change up my treatment plan and figure something else out. I say, blame the client. Well, I'm not going to work harder than them. I mean, it takes two to tango for sure. Right. But I don't know. Your wife cuts my hair and I've never gone to her and she's never, I'm not going to work harder than you on the. What, what you have to i don't know how to do this yeah, yeah. i'm an idiot like yeah. i'll make i'll make myself look stupid yeah, right lopsided yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're providing a service dummies like we need to be working harder than the client always because you're providing a service to them it's uh, like that level of responsibility i mean that kind of needs to be the mindset yeah. yeah why wouldn't it be and and look I always like to look, do, do clients still fail? Of course they do. Of course they do. We still have, I mean, especially in our field with like high risk offenders. I mean, we have like sometimes upwards of a 70%, you know, failure rate of, of clients, you know, and like in terms of recidivism, you know, they reoffend or whatnot. Um, or no, the other way around, 30% recidivism. Okay, anyway, 30% is pretty good, right? So 30% of our clients, one third of our clients will reoffend, right? Criminally, um, criminally, okay, much lower on the sexual side of things, but um, and substance use. I mean, don't even get me started. Like you know, in terms of relapse rates, come on, you know, eighty five percent, right? It's crazy. So uh, what I'm saying is, and that that's not necessarily now they're in a full blown substance use disorder. We kind of talked about that before, but what I'm saying is, even when we know what we're doing, really good work, we still have those rates, right? And but look. I'm totally fine when those things happen. And the reason why is because I look back at my work with that and I said, dude, I did everything I could to help that person. And and I never said I they needed to work harder than me. And whatever the reasons were, there was a, I don't even need to pinpoint the reasons. This person wasn't ready to change. That's fine. And my hope is, is that they recognize that I did enough work that if something, if they need more help, they're going to come back to me again. I think what you're saying there is an important distinction to, cause people that hear you pushing back on the, I'm not going to work harder might not be getting that you're, you're, that you're saying that clients are still going to fail and they need to be accountable for that 
provided that you have done your due diligence on providing the most cutting edge treatment, evidence-based and genuinely trying to connect with the client such that you can deliver that treatment. Right. If you've done all that and you've, you know, you've, uh, you know, followed everything that, you know, uh, me or another therapist would look over your shoulder at the work you've done and be like, yeah, that's, it's about right. Like you, you have worked as hard as could be reasonably expected. Mm-hmm. And if the client fails, then that is on them. Well, the other thing too, is a doctor. Have you ever asked a doctor to explain why something works? Yeah. Okay. Right. If you ask a, an oncologist, Hey, how does chemotherapy work? Well, strap in. Cause they're going to tell you yeah. and they're going to tell you mm-hmm. in detail. Ask and a horse therapist, how this works. Oh man, that's a great point. What, what are the, I'd love to hear the answer. Right. Now look, this is not just us being cynical. It's the relationship with the horse. Right. Okay. If now, you can uh, connect and feel the vibe. Now I want to hear, now okay, stop. Quantify and explain connect and vibe. Go. Right? I mean, it, okay, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when they just start running. Yeah. <laughs> well, see ya. Yeah. Or no. You can't put numbers to a vibe. Right. And and what they would tell you is. It's the art. Yeah. Yeah. And they they tell they tell you, um, well, uh, obviously your resistance isn't going to, this isn't going to be effective because you're so resistant to this. And I'm like, mm. oh my goodness. I have to believe it and then it will be true. Right. Right. Well, and it's not just us. I know this sounds like we're being cynical, psychic mediums, which we are, which we are being cynical. Right. But I I was looking at this and I I did some research on some homework. This gave me some time. And, you know, I I got an email from um, from the Department of Human Services today today. And they were talking about how like the Justice Reinvestment Initiative, the JRI status exists no more. There's no such thing as a JRI certification. Right. You know why that is? Because people, really smart people, presented evidence to our legislators and said, hey, people who are going to be treating offenders in the community need to be certified under these standards. This is what they need to do. Okay. So agencies like ours said, okay, cool. I agree with that. And then they said, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Do these steps to be certified as a JRI, you know, agency. Wonderful. Got it. But then... When it came down, and then they allocated hundreds of millions of dollars to all the treat, treatment providers in the community, right? Okay. <clears throat> and then that money was distributed to clinicians who did what? Shit the bed. Whatever they wanted to do. They didn't follow the research. They didn't follow the, the science of what to be doing. Even That's though embarrassing. They, man. Right. And hundreds of millions of dollars later, and after they doubled down on it, JRI certification no longer exists. Because... People like us, responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars and responsible for working with violent offenders in the community, shit the bed and deliberately knowing that's it's deliberate. You, the evidence is out there and right. you chose not to follow it. Right now, I'm just saying anybody who's looking at this, do you trust that a would be mass shooter is going to go into a trauma informed yoga studio and they're going to be able to figure this out. Right. Are you out of your mind? Right. Like that is your it's task. So irresponsible, man. <clears throat> yeah. Irresponsible is the best word Makes for it. Field looks stupid. Yeah. And we are, we are dumb. Like, and until, so, and it's not just us. This isn't just us either. Like, so I was looking it's you at guys too. Yeah. It's you yeah. guys too. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking at this, like, um, 
so this uh i was looking through this institute of medicine book right so this and the institute of medicine they have a lot to do established in 1970 um and they published this this book called psychosocial interventions for mental health and substance use disorders published this in 2015 so it's not like this is new by the way okay mm. um and this is by the national academy into sciences okay and this is like they have all the eminent members of the field come in and they examine policy matters pertaining to mental health and substance use treatment, right? And they they act under congressional act, all this other stuff, okay? The opening quote, the opening quote, listen to this. The efficacy of broad range of psychosocial intervention has been established through hundreds of randomized control trials and numerous meta-analysis. However, the quality of care that is actually delivered is less than ideal. Evidence-based psychosocial interventions often are not taught in programs training mental health and substance use providers and often are not available as part of routine clinical care for mental health and substance use disorders. This gap, what is known to be effective and the actual delivery of care is due to problems of access, insurance coverage, and fragmentation of care. In other words, different systems of providers, separation of primary and specialty care, different entities sponsoring and paying for care, poor coordination of care, as well as a variability in training of numerous types of providers and the lack of requirements that evidence-based interventions be taught in training programs. Wow. that it, Dude, that is the National Academy of Sciences saying, you guys suck. That's a hell of an indictment. That, that, that That's just sad, dude. That is so sad to be part of. of so this. it's like, this stuff works. We handed it to you. And you shit the bed. Right. Exactly. They go on. They have a quote from the abstract. The very first line in their abstract for this is approximately 20% of Americans are affected by mental health and substance use disorders, which are associated with significant morbidity and mortality. While the evidence base for the effectiveness of interventions to treat these disorders is sizable, a considerable gap exists between what is known to be effective and the interventions that are actually delivered in clinical care. <laughs> Be- because people are doing horse therapy. Right. It's because you like we we know what works, dummy. Stop bringing these people around horses that just use horses to ride. That's it. Or eat or what, whatever you do with them. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I, I don't know how to break people. Like, it's a whole field, though. It's not just people. Like, I think we do a pretty good job. We have a training coming up next week. Right. And part of our part of what we do is to convince the people that we that, that we're going to train yeah. that we know what we're talking about. That's it, the first part of the whole training and we back that up with numbers and statistics not good vibes bro so i don't know how to fix this and it's not our it's not our mandate to fix it but i don't know what to do we have to start there though before we start claiming that we can do anything about mass shootings well right if the if the national academy of sciences is talking about our profession in that way how the hell do you think we have any business trying to deal with any matters involving like gun control or mass shootings or any of that. Take that money and burn it for all I care. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that that's, it's not going to move the needle whatsoever. Just throwing, I, I just don't trust our field to do this. I mean, give that, give that money to, I don't know, like 
dogs, <laughs> dog trainers or something, yeah. like, anything, you know, like I, it doesn't matter to me. Like it, that, that money will not be well spent on our field whatsoever. It'll be a complete waste of money. You know, the warp stuff that you're doing, like, the Weber addiction and reentry program. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like it's a study and you like, you, you have a lot of control over the way those groups go. Sure. And the more that like, if that study were to expand and, you know, I were to come help you start to run groups, like you've got way more experience running that specific thing. Mm -hmm. I'm decent. I don't have as much experience. It's going to be a little more watered down unless I pick my game up. Mm -hmm. Then we expand it even more. We start adding in some more therapists. Like the the more that we tried to expand this tightly run ship, the, <clears throat> if there's not standards in place and a commitment to understanding the why behind those standards, the, the efficacy of the whole thing. Uh, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like it becomes watered down. The more people are, the, the more, the more, the bigger the pool of therapists are because I don't think that they believe I don't know. Do they not understand research? They don't understand the concept. I mean, I'd hate to say that because like they must, I don't, I don't get what the mental block is, but it just seems like the bigger, the more people you add into it, the more cooks in the kitchen, the more, the sloppier it gets. Well, yeah, I agree with that. And one of the things that I would say is some of the people in our field are just not qualified. I mean, uh, to, to do this work. And here's one of the things I, I, I heard also during this training was there was a, <clears throat> Oh yeah. By the way, they said the word journey like 30 times, <laughs> man, it was gross. I'm like, can we please stop saying that word? Don't say that word folks. Stop yeah. saying journey. Like find another word. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they kept saying that those who go into mental health, you know, are getting into this field because they have their own mental health issues. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, that is a ridiculous generalization. And, um, and I would, well, were they, well hold on. Were, were <clears throat> they saying that there are some mental health therapists that do that? Or they're saying that, that broadly speaking, that's all of our motivations. It was, it was kind of a broad indictment. And well, I guess it was an indictment because they were looking at it as a strength, as if that somehow bolsters this. I'm like, look, look, look. Okay. Uh, now, the proof, anecdotally, I have seen that a lot of people in our field probably have no business being mental health professionals because of their own problems with emotional dysregulation, right? I've, I've met a couple. Yeah. I've seen that happen often. Okay. Um, what I would say is I, I have... I mean, think again, now just start applying this to other fields, right? Like um, doctors get into to uh, cure patients because of their own trauma and their own like, I mean, they too have to have mental health issues. Do you Definitely want, not. do you want, <laughs> do you want a, 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 a physician operating on you with problems with impulsivity or emotional dysregulation? Oh, God. Of course you don't. Like, yeah. right? And so to just say that, that's just, but it seems like it turns this into this mystical, like 
almost magic type of stuff that you're that you're doing right and and it's kind of sad because when i was uh <clears throat> when i was trained in in cognitive behavioral therapy for substance use and this was developed by yale school of medicine right and i was trained by the director of the yale school of medicine for the for the behavioral health side of things they've gotten so fed up with this they just have computers do this now where a person sits at a computer, it doesn't even talk to them. They just read cognitive behavioral interventions mm. and they're having good outcomes. Whoa. Right. <laughs> oh no. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and oh. think of how many apps are just out there that you just read something, right? It's not going to be truckers. We're going to be the first to go and AI takes over. Well, no, I, I don't think so. I think that I, I think AI would have a hard time adapting to us because it's, it's, it's definitely, to their to their credit there is some art to this okay and there's some style like but again i would say i just don't think some people's characteristics personality or own mental health is a good mix for this field well, and and also i don't think we go through the rigorous um examination and barriers that a physician has to go through i mean by the time you're an md sure. you're a g bro like you you have proven like trial by fire. Right, right. You have you, you. We know you're there now. Whether or not you're a good surgeon, I mean that comes later. But at least when you got in there, okay, I got it. Right. So I'm saying you have. Think about this. Go back to the tattoos. You have somebody that that has underqualified, uh, emotionally not very stable, personality wise. I mean, may have some traits that are. I don't know, dip it into the disorder type range, cluster B type stuff. And they have an extreme amount of power. I mean, think about tattoo artists. Whatever they put on you is on there for life. And they choose to take artistic liberties often because they know what's best. Because this tool has been given to them and they just feel empowered. I think it's dangerous in my opinion. Yeah, I don't want the emotionally dysregulated dude that just got in a fight with his girlfriend getting pissed while he's got the tattoo gun in his hand drawing wieners on my back or something. <laughs> right, you know? right. Or just taking artistic liberties from what I had requested that they put on my body, right? Now, look, not all is lost. I mean, there are great therapists out there. We work with a bunch of them, okay? Um, and I and I think we do better than most. And there are some solutions that they offered us, okay? So number one was... Uh, the delivery of quality mental health care requires a workforce adequately trained in the knowledge and skills needed for delivering evidence-based interventions, which is what we're doing. You have a three-day training lined up next week that's going to be eight hours of intense, here's what you do, you practice it, we role play, we give you feedback, you improve on that, and then we wash, rinse, repeat, and you're going to do every single intervention and you're going to, and you're going to pretend to be a client and you're going to do it as an interview and you're going to run these mock groups and everything. And we're looking at this and giving you feedback in real time, right? That's pretty rigorous. And then not only that, we follow that up and make sure you're continuing to do that long-term and give you feedback on those long-term. That's really good training. Okay. That's how we were trained. And is the content a little sterile at first? Well, of course it is because it's content, right? But your groups are very different than mine and my groups are very different than any of our other therapists, which is fine. Mm -hmm. The content needs to be there because you have to replicate the medicine. The style in which you deliver it, yeah, bring your personality to there. You have to learn content first, not personality first. Right, right. Right, yeah. Yeah, And, and, and dude, if you rode in on a horse and did CBT, 
I don't care. If everybody's on a horse yeah. and you're doing CBT, wonderful. I don't know what the horse has to do with anything. I promise as long it as you're doing CBT. Promise it isn't the medicine. Okay. Yeah. I promise it isn't the medicine. So uh, that's I, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Another one they said was so there's this organization called the Cochrane Effect Practice and Organization of Care. And they they conducted systematic reviews documenting the effectiveness of various provider focused strategies for quality improvement have focused overwhelmingly on strategies that entail fidelity monitoring. In other words, having a supervisor observe your techniques to determine if you are adherent and compliant with an evidence based practice. So one solution is that once the evidence based practice has been trained, that your supervisor continues to follow up with you and observe you doing that. Right, man. I was impressed. Uh, one of our group therapists uh, randomly like reached out to me and just said, Hey, will you please come sit in on my group? I want you to coach me and tell me what I can do better. It, like unsolicited, unprompted, just reached out to me. She genuinely wanted my feedback on what to improve. That impressed me. Mm -hmm. I, I think that if you're a clinician listening to that, be willing. Look, she was anxious. But she still asked me to do it. Yeah. I was sitting in and I was watching her. She was nervous. She still delivered. And when I gave her the feedback, I gave her, you know, she actually did really good, which is probably the people that need me watching over their shoulder the most that aren't going to ask me or that are, you know, ducking and dodging away from that type right. of supervision. But so she did a good job. I had a couple things I gave her to work on. She received it. it if you can humble yourself enough to ask somebody, whether it's a supervisor or even just a peer to, to watch and to, to, you know, I ideally, you know, if there's like a structured format to giving the feedback even better and those exist, but ha if you can have the humility for that, you're going to improve immediately within one group, you're going to improve. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. And it's kind of a growth mindset, but growth and not, not openness because uh, like the look there's not a debate there's not a debate of which is better i know what's the best and i have the evidence to show it and i don't even want to talk to you if you if you insist on doing horse therapy you don't exist in my opinion okay i don't even want to have a conversation with you cuz that is nonsense okay you're talking about magic and and aside from shin lim on america's got talent i don't believe in magic okay <laughs> i just don't it's just you know, david copperfield are you dave if you're not get out of my face chris angel maybe okay but like <laughs> i'm just saying we don't have to have the debate there's no debate about it have a growth mindset of wanting to get better at this and excel in your career. And and this is the other thing though, is another two more things that they want that they said. Another suggestion was a pay for performance model. Okay. Under this model, clinicians and provider organizations like ours, they would receive bonuses if they meet or exceed certain quality thresholds that are specified by provider contracts. That's a good idea. So not just, hey, here's $250 million, do what you will with it. That money, burn that money. Come that money's going to go towards based. nothing. Right. Merit based. We're going to give you enough to implement what you say you're going to implement. And when you show us good outcomes, we're going to give you a bonus. Dude. Right? Why isn't that being done? That's great. They do it in in uh, the medical field all the time. Do they really? Of course. Of course they do. So why don't, why are behavioral health not held to the same standard? Why not? There should be a version of that that we can do just internally. I just, it, it's almost like people are scared of hurting other people's feelings. Look, 
I don't care about people's feelings. We're talking about crimes happening right, and yeah. people being hurt. Someone's daughter. I don't care about yeah. your feelings. Yeah. Okay. If we're talking about like, again, kids in a school getting blown away, dude, I, I don't care about your feelings at all. I don't care if those are the stakes. I couldn't care less about your feelings. So don't tell me about that. And we're so terrified of hurting somebody's feelings because they got a bad review on the way they conducted group. We're just so agreeable in this field. Right. It's a bad trait. Last one they said, another way holding behavioral health practitioners accountable is provider profiling and public reporting. They do this in the medical field as well. The collection of data and issuance of periodic reports to providers on their performance relative to that of other providers in the practice setting, provider group, or overall plan or payer has been carried out in the medical arena for years. So doctors have been doing this for years. In other words, like this doctor performs better than this doctor, and that's public knowledge, and you can look that up. I didn't know that. Right. Provider profiling is based on the premise that giving providers feedback that compares their performance with that of others will motivate them to improve in areas in which they may be underperforming. So one of our friends, he was he was a a realtor a long time ago, and he told me, he said they posted sales of everybody next to each other. You walk into a car dealership. I went down to Ken Garf when I bought a car not too long ago. And every salesman was put on there and they had sales numbers put right up next to each other. We're talking about car salesmen, people, and and realtors. Nothing is realtors or car salesmen. I'm glad they're doing that. I'm saying we have mental health practitioners and out of fear of hurting somebody's feelings, we won't compare their outcomes to the next mental health practitioner. What is wrong with our field? I don't... So... This, wow. this, this goes on and says, when it comes to public reporting, this can improve the quality of care by providing consumers and family members with information on the quality of care delivered by different clinicians or public reporting can facilitate consumer selection of high quality provider. Secondly, public reporting uh, of quality, metri- can, quality metrics can encourage individual clinicians and provider organizations to engage in efforts to improve the quality of care both to protect their reputation and to attract new patients. Now, look, if those standards were in place, right, how quickly would people ferret themselves out? They're like, I don't want to do this. Dude, I was just Wait, you're telling me I can't do horse therapy anymore? Deuces. Awesome. Good for you and good for us. Right. Like, that's all they need to do is rigorously implement these things and say, we're no longer going to tolerate nonsense and we're no longer going to pay for it. And if you do that, that's private, it's experimental, and do what you will with it. Dude, doesn't that kind of, like, if if you knew that that was implemented, doesn't that kind of fire you up to get better? Oh, dude, I would love that. <laughs> I know. If, if we had our, our standards of, of, like, clinician by clinician. Actually competing. Competing and, with yeah, one another. Hell yeah. Like, statewide. Oh, my dude. God. I'd be like, let's <laughs> yes, go, I know. son. You know I'd what I mean? I'd be studying. Yeah. Night, yeah. You know? I, I, and I would not want to be embarrassed in my field. And unfortunately, I'm embarrassed every day when I hear stuff like this. This yeah, is just embarrassing. Is. So I honestly, I, you know, to the degree that that our our field can handle this, I don't think they can. I don't I don't think that money is going to be well spent. I don't think it's going to move the needle whatsoever. Unless things like this are put in place. I agree 100%. Yeah. You did a lot of research, bro. I know, right? Yeah. Well, it was kind of important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So You can't talk about the need for research without doing research. Yeah. Well, I think think that's it we have to say about this, but we have a 
I think our, ne- our next episode, I don't want to, I want to. We always screw up when we do that. Yeah. Just throw it out there. Who cares? Well, yeah, we do have a villains to victory coming up. Though. Oh, that's so point. I know. No, yeah. that's coming up. I think next week. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Look at that. I'll have to double check, but yeah. confirm, <laughs> but those are always fun episodes. So yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. Is that it? Oh, we have it. This? Yeah. Okay. So hopefully this hit home for some of you, cause this is an important issue. Take your work seriously. Stop doing horse therapy. Don't give freaking mushrooms to dogs. Stop doing horse shit. Yeah. (laughs) Don't give mushrooms (laughs) to dogs, you freak. (laughs) See you guys. And that about does it for this episode of the podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to bake a batch of oatmeal raisin cookies for the five-star rating. But when you deliver them, pretend that you actually bake them a batch of chocolate chip cookies instead. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please help us grow by sharing with a friend. We'd like to stay in chat longer, but we're lying. Good night.